And now a brief reading. This from Psalm chapter 119, longest chapter in the Bible, fear not. Just two verses. I'll actually read verse 129 through 130. Your teachings are wonderful, and I respect them all. Understanding your word brings light to the minds of ordinary people. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for faithful interpretation. At the most basic level, I think we all know what the word Bible is referring to. Christianity's sacred collection of scriptures. Yet what it means to affirm that the Bible is sacred scripture for Christians is not agreed upon and is, in fact, the most controversial, contentious, and dividing line within all of Christendom, or at least within American Christendom. Conflict among Christians concerning the Bible's origins, authority, and interpretation take up immeasurable amounts of energy among people of the same faith tradition, even. Before we get to the points of disagreement and contention, I want to spend a few moments reviewing some information about which there actually is very little disagreement among Christians as it pertains to the Bible. We have to celebrate the stuff we all agree on. First, as Christian sacred scripture is a foundational piece of Christianity. Second, the Christian Bible includes what have been called Old and New Testaments. The first, the Old Testament, is the Christian name for the Jewish Bible or the Hebrew scriptures. The second is the name of a collection of Christian documents from the century after Jesus' life. Though both are sacred scripture for Christians, the former is relatively neglected and in some case intentionally neglected among Christians. All major groups of Christians agree that there are at least 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old and 27 in the New Testament. Most Protestants restrict the Bible to use these 66 books, but for an actual majority, talking a number of Christians, that is Catholic, Orthodox, and Anglican, there are more books. There's an additional collection of books known as the Apocrypha. Now, these are Jewish writings from the two centuries before Jesus. The most familiar that you may recall when hearing their name are 1st and 2nd Maccabees, Sirach, the Wisdom of Solomon, and a book called Judith. And no, it's not the Jude the Beatles sang about. It's Judith. The Old Testament is almost four times as long as the New Testament. Did you realize that? The Apocrypha is about 80% as long, or four-fifths as long as the New Testament. The Old Testament has three main parts. On this, Christians agree. Torah, prophets, and writings. The Torah, also known as the Law, or the Pentateuch, includes the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. The prophets, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, and so forth, but also 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. The writings include Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and some others. 
The New Testament has four kinds of documents. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 21 letters generally attributed to figures such as Paul, Peter, James, and John. And one narrative of early Christianity spread from Jerusalem to Rome known as the Acts, or in longhand, the Acts of the Apostles. And no one anticipation of, well, there, there is one anticipation of the end called Revelation. Don't put an S on it, by the way. I'll give you a, a buzz for eh, if we're playing Bible nerd games. It's called Revelation by Protestants, but called Apocalypse by Roman Catholics. The Greek root of the word for Bible means little books. And in the ancient world, these little books were written with very specific audiences in mind, which is in great contrast and part of what gives us so many problems interpreting them today in our modern era where books are written for wide generic sections of people because we want to sell more of them. All right? The Old Testament was written from within and for the ancient Jewish people as its intended audience. The New Testament was written from within and for the early Christian communities. None of the above statements I have made about the Bible so far is highly controversial. If you feel it as such, I assure you, you might have heard me wrong or I might have expressed it inaccurately. That is about to change, however. <laughs> Because beyond these very basic facts, Christians disagree most vigorously about the Bible, its origin, authority, and interpretation. So now let's get on to the fun stuff. For a very loud, yet still slightly in the minority of Christians, those that most often would identify as evangelical or fundamentalist Christians, the Bible is considered the inerrant, infallible revelation of God and is to be interpreted quite literally and with great certainty or confidence as such. The late Marcus Borg coined an acronym for this approach. I'm not sure it's highly marketable, but I liked it. Tawagfat. T-A-W-O-G-F-A-T. You know what that stands for? I didn't think so. This approach to the Bible is the authoritative word of God for all time. Tawag fat. You can write that down and thank me later. Even in some mainline congregations, following the scripture readings, an uncritical examination of the words that are spoken after the scripture, usually that's read right before the sermon concludes, can lead to confusion on the part of many in a congregation, and many congregations, even mainline congregations. When I concluded the scripture reading a moment ago before the sermon, I would have said, the word of God for the people of God. And you might have said, thanks be to God. Or if I just got up and then when I concluded, I said, the word of the Lord. You might have said, thanks be to God. But there's a little problem with those words as they fall on our modern ear and how we understand them, which is why I don't say them. Heard uncritically and without 
proper theological thought, these words convey the notion that the Bible is the direct revelation of God. Virtually no mainline non-evangelical Christian denomination in the world views the Bible in this manner, by the way. This understanding of the Bible, the Tawagfat understanding, authoritative word of God for all time approach, it puts the Bible and locates the Bible's authority completely in God with very little human cooperation. A slight majority of Christians, like those in our traditions, have a different take on where we believe the Bible came from, one that is grounded in the historical and theological scholarship that has developed over the centuries. The scholarship is quite clear, and there is actually overwhelming, historically verifiable information, not just in the pages of the Bible, but from outside sources of the pages of the Bible, that in fact, the Bible is a human product not a divine one. Now, please hear me. This is not to say that we do not believe the Bible is inspired or sacred or special to Christians and to people of faith. It is uh, sacred and inspired, but for different reasons. The evidence, archaeological evidence, historical, literary evidence is all clear. The Old Testament is the product of ancient Israel, and the New Testament is the product of the early Christian communities. And to affirm this view of the Bible does not mean denying the reality of God or that God's inspiring presence was very much real in the lives of the people in these ancient communities. But it does mean that the Bible tells Christians how our spiritual ancestors, you know, the people of ancient Israel and the people of the early Christian communities, how they saw things. And not necessarily, always, 100% of the time, how God sees things. The Bible includes our ancestors' experiences of the divine, their stories about the divine, their understandings of life and how it should be lived when we do it faithfully, but it is clearly their story, not God's story straight from God's lips. But their stories rather in light of how they experienced the sacred, how they understood the sacred. So the Bible in this mainline Christian view is not infallible, not inerrant, and not absolute. As I like to say it, the Bible in this approach is not used to settle arguments, but to start conversations. Think about it. Because if you only use it to settle debates, well, you can find a verse to support darn near anything you want if you couch it in your own terms. We call that proof texting, taking things out of context and using them for our own selfish purposes. We've never seen that before, have we? And these conversations should, in the tradition of our spiritual ancestors, these important conversations that might start with a story from the scriptures, always take place, when we do it right, in the context of communities, just like this one. 
And so this view raises some natural questions among thinking Christians. If the Bible's authority is not to be located directly in God as the author, does the Bible have any real authority for Christians like me and like many of you? Specifically, how or why is the Bible authoritative at all for Christians like me and like some of you? The short and simple answer is, are you ready? Why is it authoritative? Because our spiritual ancestors declared these documents to be authoritative. Our ancestors declared them to be sacred, and they included them in what we call the canon. From the Greek word for rule or standard of the scripture. Now, you may have heard of the process known as the canonization process, that process whereby our spiritual ancestors selected which books were to be included in the Bible or the canon and which were to be excluded from the Bible or what we call the canon. And this process, this canonization process, again, was very much a human process of selection. And choosing the books that went into the Bible took place over the course of many centuries, And we actually do not have precise records or dates of official meetings at which many of these decisions were made. But most scholars seem to think that the many, but not all, books in the Old Testament were canonized or concluded, the canonization process, about a hundred years or so before the time Jesus came along. This is supported by the times in the New Testament where writers often refer to the Bible. Have you heard this term? The Law and the Prophets. All the law and the prophets hang on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever heard those words before? The books known as writings, those seem to have gotten included as as much as a couple hundred years later, actually, after the time Jesus came along. And they include books like Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Esther, and some others. Now, some have said, and you may have heard it said, that councils like the Council of Nicaea at 325, year 325, well, those were where these votes on the canon took place, but actually we have some conflicting evidence exactly of when these things might have taken place. As to the canon of the New Testament, the first list of the 27 books that what we call today the New Testament the first list was found in the years 367 in a letter from Bishop Athanasius. Even though the book of Revelation was the last to be universally included because it was not officially included in parts of the Eastern Church, get this, until the 700s, maybe even a little later. At this point, you might feel flooded with a lot of technical information which you cannot remember. You might feel a little bit overloaded. That's okay. Take a deep breath. You'll make it. Here's the important point of all my belaboring, and I don't want you to miss this. The thing I want you to take away from this is that the Bible is sacred scripture not because its origin, but because our ancestors in the faith declared these particular books to be worth our time. In other words, authoritative. 
That's why the Bible has authority, not because it was uniquely written, directly dictated by God, just as fast as human beings could scribble it down. That's not the way I believe it happened. Here's a very perfect analogy. Well, it's not perfect. It's a very imperfect analogy, actually. Take, for example, the Constitution of the United States. And for those of us in this room, the Constitution of the United States has a certain authority for American citizens, not because of its origins, but because our national ancestors ratified it. That is, they officially declared it to be authoritative for American citizens. And so to be an American is to live within a community that interprets the ongoing living out of this Constitution. And guess what? It actually changes over time and serves as a sort of foundation for life. Now this analogy breaks down. It's a legal document, and the Bible is not, though parts of it were. It breaks down because to interpret the Bible as if it were a legal document is a deadly mistake, which happens every day of the week, by the way. But the analogy, in the most general sense, works for purposes today. The Bible has authority for Christians for the same reason the Constitution has authority for Americans. To be a Christian involves a continuing conversation in community with the Bible. However, not a once-said-forever-done approach. If that essential dialogue that happens in the context of Christian communities like ours were to ever cease, if we ever stop pushing back here and there and throwing out ideas about the Scriptures, by definition, we would cease to be Christians. Now, ironically, this dialogue is not very welcome in many Christian circles and communities because if you begin raising questions about something the Bible says, even though in practical purposes all you're doing is pushing back against someone else's interpretation of it, well, that's where we have church trials and all that fun stuff. Ask questions or have discussions or teaching like these we're having today, and you'll quickly find yourself excommunicated in some Christian circles. But I argue that this conversational, community-based, ever-evolving, never-quite-done approach to interpreting the scriptures and living them out in community is actually a much more ancient approach than the one that really didn't exist until fundamentalism introduced its one-and-done to wog-fat version about 200 years ago. The one we tend to follow has been around a lot longer. The most mainline Bible scholars actually insist that Christianity today can best understand the Bible when we see its texts in their ancient contexts first while remaining attentive to their metaphorical meanings as well at the same time. That is, metaphorical, they're more than literal, more than factual, more than historical, multi-leveled meanings. For example... Do I believe that scales literally fell from Saul's eyes on the road to Damascus before he was converted and became the Apostle Paul? Probably not. I wasn't there. And I'm actually not even sure that the author meant for us to take that part literally. That's something modern people have done. But here's what we know, and here's what I believe, the deep timeless truth of that story, the one the road to Damascus, for example, 
tells us, and I feel so confident that our spiritual ancestors would not want us to miss. Think about the story of Saul on the road to Damascus and the scales falling from his eyes. Here's what I think we're not supposed to miss from a story like that. Each and every single day, people, if we are willing, can encounter the light of deep truth. In it, we can find the error of our past harmful, even toxic behaviors, and we can still, with the help of God from deep within, choose a life-giving, truthful path moving forward that transforms not only our own lives, but the future of the world. When we only talk about scales in the literal sense, we miss the bigger picture of that story and so many others like it. Scales do indeed still fall from eyes. Lives are indeed still miraculously changed for the better. Do these incredible experiences cease if the Bible never existed as we know it? Of course not. But the Bible provides a reference point, a source for having these important conversations and reflections for the people who call themselves followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Christians, little Christs. So you'll notice I'm wearing a stole today. I do it most weeks. I wore this one today on purpose, even though it's really hot on the back of my neck because of the material it's made of. You might wonder what that symbol is sometimes when you've seen me wear this stole before. But that, if you didn't see all this around it and it wasn't worn in this context, you would recognize that as a comma. Yeah, it's a comma. And this is to symbolize... The belief within the tradition known as the United Church of Christ that we believe in a continuing revelation of God, an ongoing, vital conversation of life and faith that is still unfolding. In this way, we believe that God is still speaking, and that, as Gracie Allen once said, which is where this came from, we should never place a period where God has placed a comma. Now, you might be listening to this sermon today and still you're having complicated feelings with your own relationship and how you feel about the Bible. Let me just reassure you that that is perfectly acceptable. Many of us today also have complicated feelings when it comes to thinking about our own families. Don't we? I do. Gosh, I love them, and they frustrate me worse than anyone else on earth. But I love them more than anyone else on earth at the end of the day. Sometimes things get complicated. And so things that are discussed in the pages of the Bible, they're, they're really no different. We can admire many of the things we find in the pages of the Bible without endorsing all of the things we find in the pages of the Bible. The same is true in our own families as it is with the Bible. We can see how our ancestors in the pages of the Bible thought about life and faith. But here's an even more important question that I think the Bible guides us towards if we follow the trajectory to where we live today. Here it is. How will we follow God in our own time faithfully? And what will the generations who follow us say about our journey? My friends, here's the truth. 
We are the only Bible that most people will ever read. Rooted in the stories of our faith, let us recommit ourselves to living and loving faithfully. Amen.